I am lucky today to have Harford County Executive Barry Glassman, no stranger to Annapolis. He is joined legislative staffer as well. And he, of course, was here in Annapolis today to listen to Governor Hogan's State of the State address. He's going to talk a little bit about that. We'll get his reaction and some MAKO issues. So we're going to go into local legislative priorities in Harford County, talk about some Kerwin issues and see where we end up. Uh, County Executive, I believe this is your first time on a Minor Detail Podcast. Thank you for doing this. We appreciate you. I've listened a couple of times to make sure I know what to what to do oh so you're <laughs> so you you're you're well in the know I, did. I saw jill carter's and watched that i've been kind of watching that congressional race from a distance so it was interesting to to hear some of the inside uh scoop on that that's a, a race that yesterday Kwaeze and fume pulled away with there was no contest he had uh, I believe it was nearly 30,000 votes. Right, yeah. Joe Carter and Maya Rockamore Cummings came in second and third, respectively. It, was a, it wasn't even a race, really. And I think his wide name recognition clearly helped him yeah. get over the hump. And yeah. he looks like he's going to go back to folks, Congress. Folks that remembered him, I think, uh, remembered the name and that he was a congressman. Uh, I think, you know, they felt good about him, and when they saw his name again on the ballot, I think that that probably helped him out a lot. Speaking of being helped, you are no stranger to this city, to the legislative body. You started out as a state delegate. Well, I'm older than that, actually. But you were also in the state senate. Yeah, 30 years ago, I started out on the county council. I did did eight years uh, in the Hartford County Council back from 1990. Uh, and after eight years, I did uh, move to the House of Delegates for eight years and then about another eight years in the Maryland State Senate. But I always tell people those were uh, part-time jobs, that I did uh, have a full-time <laughs> job with gas and electric and a small farm. So I, I did work for a living, too. Well, <laughs> you are widely known because you have the most creative yard signs. It's a, <laughs> My wife loves them. It's a sheep, and it says Barry. Right. It's great. That is tremendously brilliant marketing, and I'm sure you it, it is good for laughs. It is. It's good, and those signs I find all over the state, too. People take them at the state fair. The young people, the 4-Hers, will take my name off, of course, and put their names at the uh, at the exhibits when they're showing their sheep or, or goats and so forth. So it's been a... A good marketing ploy, and actually, last week at Hartford at the Hartford County luncheon, we gave out ice scrapers with like a sheepskin, not real sheepskin. <laughs> I'm at, I'm politically correct. It was a synthetic, uh, but for all the delegates and senators to have a Barry uh, sheepskin ice scraper, and I got a couple of texts and tweets that uh, in Western Maryland they used it last week. Is that right? Ice storm. Oh well, good good old Western Maryland, where I hail from in Hagerstown. They technically consider anywhere west of, I guess, Hancock to be the true Western Maryland, although I think Western Maryland truly begins somewhere around Hagerstown. I, I at least think so. Yeah, that's think, a that's a debate I could have with Mike McKay or Jason Buckle. It's a long drive. I, I was looking next, I think, <laughs> Tuesday or Wednesday, I'm at the Hagerstown Chamber of Commerce giving a speech, and uh, it's at 7.30, and I think i got to leave out of Hartford County like at 5 a.m. or 4.30. <laughs> I, I want to emphasize, anybody who's listening for the first time to the podcast or to the county, county executive, Barry Glassman, Hartford is H-A-R-F-O-R-D. 
people often sometimes add a T in there. They do. And I don't know where, maybe it's just an easier phrase, maybe it's something that rolls off the tongue much easier than Harford, but I see your county as one of the most misspelled counties, probably somewhere between uh, Wicomico and uh, uh, a few others. Yeah, and when, when Alan Kittleman, when we had two Republicans in the Big Seven, uh, they used to get us mixed up, and he would be announced as Harford, I'd be Howard, and so that's a common mistake, too. <laughs> well, you know politics. You've been around for some time now. You ran first for county executive in Harford County in 2014. You won. You, you were reelected in 2018, so you're now on your second term, and you released this um, on January the 6th. You released uh, your legislative priorities for the General Assembly. Of course, most county executives, most county officials, whether it be a council or a, a commissioner form of government, we have a couple of different types in Maryland. In Harford County, you have a, you have a county executive and then you have a county council. Right. And you released some legislative priorities and you talked about uh, some basic infrastructure projects, improvements on Route 23 and Route 22, and of course working with Maryland, the Maryland Association of Counties. I'm interested to hear some of your legislative priorities. Can you articulate those? Sure. Um, when, when we talk about local road uh, construction, highway, state highway funds, um, it harkens back to my, about 15 years ago when uh, the legislature, to catch up with actually to find some Thornton funding during the recession, took about 80% of the county's highway user funds. That's the gas tax. Everybody pays a, a, a local portion to fund uh, counties to do highway maintenance, construction, and so forth. That has never been returned. We're getting about 20 cents back on a dollar. Uh, and so not only in Harford County, but I think a lot of suburban counties, one of the major complaints that we hear about is uh, growing congestion, not, not only on the major interstates, but now you begin to see it in some of the infill areas on, on state roads when folks are trying to get to and from work. So uh, one of our major objectives each year is to try to get state highway and get into the governor's budget for some major road improvements uh, in Hartford County. Uh, we were up to about 250,000 people. Uh, one of the big... Get my dude. Oh, yeah. You one, did? Yep, we're there. One of the big seven uh, counties. So uh, we're we're in the market for road construction improvements to intersections, and, and we we send a list of twenty, but we have some major thoroughfares uh, that we're working on trying to get funding for. I want to learn a little bit more about Harford County for people who are listening. You're north of Baltimore County, is it, or is it west? Or? We we are. Uh, we are actually east of Baltimore County. I'm thinking of just driving up 95. Yeah, so you go past Baltimore County, and then you'll come to Harford County. I always say uh, we're bordered on the north by the Baltimore, uh, the Pennsylvania line and Conowingo Dam. Conowingo Dam. And down the Susquehanna River, uh, and you usually go across 95 or Route 40. That's sort of the boundary on the east side of Harford County. Uh, and we uh, have 95 coming through uh the county so of course that brings a lot of challenges and and commerce so most of our warehouse industrial space is along route 40 the perryman corridor uh, i-95 and then our growth area is sort of uh, near the county seat bel air uh, that area is more of the suburban growth area and uh, when folks 
Well, I always go back 30 years. When I got, before I got elected, historically, Hartford County was a Democratic county. I was on the first Republican county council that was elected in 1990, and that was during our growth spurt. It seemed like folks that moved from Baltimore County and Baltimore City out to a rural area suddenly became Republicans when they uh, moved to a suburban area and, and got a single-family house. And, and that area there, 24 and 95, is our growth corridor and is really, uh, when people travel that, they can see how much, how, how much the county has grown. Mr. County Executive, the Maryland, from the outside, people may think that we are a heavily Democratic state. And in places where I live in Montgomery County, Prince George's County, Baltimore City, and pieces of Howard County, of uh, even Calvert, that makes sense. But it's really a purple state. We the last three, two out of the last three governors have been Republican governors, and we have, uh, I think, a it's a progressive legislature, but there's still mostly rural communities that occupy the different territories, and there's a lot of commerce that comes through by way of. Uh, of, of your profession, your farmer. So right. I, I try to explain that to people and people think Maryland is, you know, the right next to DC, but that's not the case. Yeah, but, and even in Hartford County, we are, uh, by a few numbers, a Republican county. The county votes, historically, the voting trends for the last 20 years have been very Republican. But if you look at the actual registration numbers, we're, we're about even. And, um, the county, Hartford County, still has a large rural uh, farming district in the north, and uh, there are a lot of conservative Democrats still that uh, farm that country. And uh, I always tell folks, even Republicans, the Republicans I grew up with in Hartford County were rural Republicans. They were farmer-based, uh, believed in education, you know, small government, just some of the basic things that our party was founded on. And all that's kind of changed now. But um, we're we're kind of that typical, uh, I think, that uh, moderate temperament that the state is really known for. I think that's fair. And and also, you as a, a, a politician, uh, a public servant, a, an official who's served in Annapolis, I never got a sense that you were very partisan. I always saw you as oriented towards policy and good government. Of course, you're Republican, just as your colleagues are Democrats. But you were never one to to beat the Republican drum. I think from a policy perspective, you're more interested in practical government and uh, local government and how what's the best policies that affect your community. So I that that was at least my observation. Yeah, that's and of course you can that's a, it cuts two ways. I mean, you can be criticized for not being partisan enough, and I and I you know accept that. I've been criticized for that. Um, but I think that's just a, the nature of how I was raised, I think, in the farming community and, and really growing up and, and studying history and government. And, and government can uh, provide good services. I mean, I think it's uh, – and that's one of the things I like about local government. Every day, you know, we worry about balancing the budget. You know, Maryland counties balance their budgets by April, unlike that's right. the federal government that's in the multi-trillion dollars deficit. And the state still runs a little bit of a structural deficit. But we worry about plowing the roads, making sure people get services, uh, planning and zoning, water and sewer. Most of that stuff's not really partisan. I mean, it's not I don't think Republican so. or Democrat. Well, and It's that, good government. It's providing what government's supposed to do. And your philosophy towards good government, like many other officials, 
was parlayed over into the Maryland Association of Counties, of which you were serving as the president until last year. You served right. the presidents of MACO, served one-year terms. and Thank the, goodness. Right? <laughs> I, I would imagine that that would be a lot of work in addition to your responsibilities as the executive. And being an executive, of course, it's a full-time job. It is, and it's... Uh, but what I learned is how big the state is with the, the Maryland Association of Counties. I got to visit every county and, and meet with them and go over their priorities and relate it into the, uh, into the MAKO agenda. But just the windshield time and the travel time. <laughs> and I learned a lot about traffic in Montgomery County. I think I had a two-hour meeting uh, with their council, but it took me half of the day to get there, had the meeting, and then another half a day to get home. So You take 95 95- <laughs> down and then you can hit 200 over uh on the icc i don't know if that's the way you took but i just remember sitting in a lot of you traffic. Just, well we do have a lot of traffic in montgomery yeah. county and i know that's one of our council's priorities is to mitigate that traffic flow right. yeah but i am i am really a fan of mako you emphasize good government not partisanship yeah. you there's democrats and republicans yeah. The MAKO organization has been historically a a policy-setting organization. You're looking out for the best interests of the county, and every year you have a massive MAKO event down in Ocean City at their convention center. You have county officials come, and they learn all about how to be better government officials from finance to infrastructure to budgeting. It's a really fascinating conference, and of course, you can't forget about the parties that you have. And last MAKO, you were still the president, and I'm interested for you to reflect. Could you reflect on your years spent as MAKO president and some of that, those accomplishments and maybe struggles that you had in that role? Yeah, it, it's, been a, it's been a great year for me. It's just the traveling around. Um, it, it gives you a better, you think that you being a county executive, that you've, you're bearing all the problems in the world and that your stuff that you're dealing with in your county is is the worst. But, you know, I, I visited eastern shore counties that, uh, that struggle with their budgets where $5,000 can make or break them uh, on a project and they're struggling uh, to make each budget pass. And to go out to western Maryland or suburban counties, um, it just really kind of gives you a, a better feel uh, for local government and you know for the most part most it, it's nonpartisan and we always say at MAKO when we come into a legislative meeting on our meetings we we hang the RD thing at the door I mean we really uh, strive not to get into that when we take policy positions uh, of course it, it it rears its head sometime and you have to deal with that I think one of the biggest struggles we have is the growing divide between urban, suburban, and our rural counties. And quite frankly, as you mentioned, that's where usually the largest partisan differences are, and uh, they're more conservative than, than what you would see here in the legislature. So that, that was where it, it took some time to make sure we brought folks together from the rural area and the suburban area and, and see if we could work it out. And, and sometimes you can't, and you have to tell the counties, listen, we're going to set you free, and you go uh, testify on a bill to what's that's best for your, your county if we really can't get a consensus. I know when I was on the Kerwin Formula Group uh, that we worked on all summer, uh, of course, they only gave me three hours to poll the counties, but uh, most of the counties, we could not come up with enough uh, information to get a position. So we abstained on that because I had some counties that said, well, it's not too bad for us, but other counties that said, no, there's no way we can do it. 
Uh, and so in one of those cases, we, we kind of just have to take the middle road and, and tell the leadership, you know, that this is one of the things we don't have a definitive answer on. It's a good pivot into talking about your tenure as the chairman of MAKO, the president of MAKO for a year. Kerwin clearly dominated that discussion. You had a heavy hand in that that part of the the legislation. You had a uh, and then the policy and then the the funding formulas, which would I believe is the number one issue in the 2020 legislative session. It's the number one issue on the minds of most of the county officials in Maryland's 23 counties. So that's something that I want to pick your brain on, uh, Mr. County Executive. And I'm thinking that the formulas, there's there's many in that legislators and lawmakers and county officials have discussed. However, I haven't heard any definitive uh, funding formula that will get us to what the four billion dollars. Four billion. That's a lot one, of money. One point two for one point two billion dollars. One point three for the counties. Uh, in, How much for Harford? In ten years, it's about a million. Uh, uh, they don't they don't include teacher pensions, but if you put that in there, it's probably about twelve million for us over ten years. But just to put the breadth of this, and I think this is why we have not seen a bill. You know this far into the legislative session yet is the breadth of the program is so large. Uh, Just for example, in the last 20 years, uh, Maryland counties took their two biggest hits. One was the transfer of teacher pensions to help pay for Thornton. That was about 200 million, uh, 300 million from the, the highway user fund, the gas tax that they took from counties. So just think about it in 20 years, the two biggest hits that we took uh, was about a half a billion dollars. Uh, they're looking for counties to kick in 1.3 billion in 10 years, and so it's double the effort and half the time. So the magnitude of that, and that's just on the county side. The the state side is about 3.8 uh, billion dollars. So I think that's why we're here uh, in the the first week of February. We haven't seen a bill yet now. The Senate president told the MAKO Board of Directors this afternoon uh, that we will probably see a bill tomorrow or Friday at the latest. As for the... For the, the, actu- for the actual Kerwin bill that takes the recommendations from the big commission, the full commission, and the funding uh, formula work group and actually puts that into legislative language. Yeah. I think the bill... Uh, the bill was in uh, north of 200 pages. The speaker said they're back down to about 120 pages. Uh, but uh, I have the feeling that they're going to move that fairly quickly because um, they, they indicated today that we're going to be looking at an Octo- uh, a February 17th hearing date, wow. which, which is two weeks, two weeks away. So we'll have two weeks to study the bill, get our amendments ready, and be ready to testify on that Monday. It'll be a joint hearing. What are some of the mechanisms to raise the funds? What can we do? Well, you know, each each Maryland county will have to, on the county, on the local portion, each county is going to have to, to decide. Uh, w- one of the good things about the formula, I have to say, coming from a suburban county, is that counties that already contribute, say, in Hartford County, 50 cents on a dollar, uh, we spend half of our total budget on education. Uh, the formulas kind of work to your advantage. That is recognized, and you're given credit for that. So in Harford County, it's about a million a year. Uh, for example, a county uh, such as Prince George's or Baltimore City, Baltimore City does 20 cents on a dollar. That's why you see their contribution about 36 million a year. 
Uh, Prince George's County does 36 cents on a dollar, and they're about 30 million a year. Uh, and so that whole range. But then you fall into Eastern Shore counties that have tax caps yes. or, or at their max on income taxes. They're going to have to struggle to find a way even to come up with three or $400,000. This is going to put tremendous stress on county budgets. And when that occurs to pay for the recommendations, county's gonna, the counties are likely to have to explain to their residents that they're going to raise taxes. Yeah, counties have two primary uh, sources of income, property mm-hmm. tax and income tax. I mean, there are some other residuals, but those are the two main drivers on how we fund local government. So, uh, Is that a concern of Harford County residents that they're talking to you and the county council and they don't work? Most of the counties now are in limbo. We don't know what's going to happen, what they're going to be on the hook for. And we still have to see this bill because, uh, as I mentioned early on, uh, there is no way the two largest uh, delegations in Annapolis, Prince George's and Baltimore City, are going to come up with $360 million uh, a piece to fund this. I mean, so the state is going to have to come up with their portion yeah. or they're going to take it out of the rest of the county. So um, we're going to have to wait and see the bill. Now, the Senate president said today that the bill, uh, he believes, remains faithful to the formula suggestions, meaning that um, the counties may not see a big differential in in what was predicted in those original spreadsheets. County Executive, you met today with leadership. That's a common occurrence of county officials. They sit down, you talk about what's going on in your personal jurisdiction. I believe you met with Senate President Bill Ferguson and uh, Speaker Adrian right. Jones, how did those conversations to go? What were your, what did you relay to them, and what was the the crosstalk? Well, as you and Kerwin is like number one, mm-hmm. as you said, Ryan. We're uh, every county executive in the room brought up Kerwin, and and when can we see the bill? Uh, what do what do they you know think it looks like? So. Um, that, that's number one. I think it's it's almost like Christmas morning. We're going to wait till tomorrow or, or Friday and see what we're going to get. And um, and then I think every county is going to have to evaluate where they are and, and how they're going to fund this. And, and they're going to need to come down here in February and talk to their county legislators who is going to vote on, on the bill uh, to work it out. So in Hartford County, you know, we uh, when I came into office, we, we were in a pretty tight spot coming out of the recession. Uh, and I kind of questioned myself why I left the, the Senate because, you know, your second day in is when the auditor and all the people sit down with you and say, well, Barry, you're going to need to raise taxes. You're, you're about your water and sewer funds in the red. And, and so that's when you really learn that you've got to make some tough decisions policy-wise. And, you know, we uh, reduced our workload. We outsourced the landfill. We did a lot of things, and um, I was able to do that without raising taxes. And so... Five years later, the county has its fund balance restored to $20 million. I actually had enough funds. Uh, last year, I began putting some assigned fund balance. I started save, putting some money aside for Kerwin because uh, I knew what was coming down the road here with uh, that, that it is going to pass. I think, Ryan, that's, that's the other thing. I, I, I tell folks that it is going to pass. I mean, the bridge to Kerwin, it's funded for this year and next year. And, and even in the worst-case scenario, uh, the legislature, the leadership can find a way to patch this together to get us through this term. Now, 
I, I think the next governor, the next legislature really is, uh, are the bodies that are going to have to deal with the long-term funding mechanisms to figure out how we're going to pay for it. I think, I think it's in, essentially can be paid for in the next three or four years. You just gave me a tremendous <laughs> opening. I have got to ask you, you said the next governor. Are you running? Oh, well. I <laughs> Uh-oh. See, I, <laughs> I, I have to ask you because yeah. it seems like that you are, you'll be finishing your second term by the time Governor Hogan finishes his second term in 2022. Uh, you come from a, a prominent jurisdiction. It makes political sense, at least to an observer like myself. But would you, are you considering or are you at least thinking well, about that path? Yeah, you know, I think about it. I have people talk to me about that. Of course, now the, the comptroller's position has opened up and... Um, so I, I do like policy and public service, uh, and, and so I've, those, are, those are things I think about, and as I, I've had an opportunity to go around and talk about Kerwin and, and, and visit around the states, I have a lot of friends on the Democratic side and Republican side that talk to me about this. Uh, but equally on that list of options is uh, my wife and I have been doing this for 30 years, and so uh, right up there is going back into the private sector and, and, and making a living. So. I think we'll figure that out. Uh, but it's fair to say you're thinking about sure, it. Sure, yeah. And we're, we're, okay. we're about a year away. I think most folks will wait until after the um, uh, the general election and see how that goes. What about a comptroller gig? That, that open, that, that's going to open up? Yeah, that's certainly one of the options. Okay. Yeah. I, I would be remiss in my journalistic responsibilities if I did I not ask you. Listen, since you're, you're not the first one to ask me. I, I'm sure. I'm sure. But, you know, on a minor detail podcast, right. we, like yeah. to, we like to get some news out of this. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah. that's interesting. And I, I'm, we're two years out, three years out. Uh, right. I think two. Yeah. 2022. It's 2020. I'm getting my years mixed up already, right. county executive. So... I am. I want to pivot now. There's. I want to talk a little bit about school construction, and your priorities. And the email that you had sent out to media, you had listed that you're going to support the Harford County Board of Education's request for a total of thirty million dollars, seven hundred seven thousand, toward the is it Joptown High School? Joppatown. That's Joppatown. Our, yep. That's our Route 40. One of our Route 40 schools in the Joppatown community, which. Uh, for history buffs, was the first planned community in Harford County. It's uh, hmm. really the the first community coming from Baltimore County on U.S. Route 40. Okay. Well, you have a lot of interesting kind of sectors that set up in Harford County. Bel Air is a unique community. You have Aberdeen Proving Ground. You have some really interesting areas. What is the chief econ- What's the chief commerce there? Well, so. Uh, Aberdeen Proving Ground continues to be our number one employer, uh, and Aberdeen Proving Ground uh, has changed since the BRAC realignment, and uh, we only have about 100 uniformed troops on Aberdeen Proving Ground now. We just celebrated our, our 100 years uh, hosting uh, Aberdeen Proving Ground, but now uh, Aberdeen Proving Ground in, in Harford County has the largest per capita number of PhDs in the country. And in fact, the base has become a think tank for the Army, uh, biosecurity, cybersecurity, uh, development of warfighter uh, protection systems. And, and so that whole base has turned to a high-tech base, which has been great uh, for Harper County. And then about uh, six months ago, we got a two-star command uh, called the Army's Future Command, and it's a new uh, command. And that is akin to about a Fortune 500 uh, 
company coming to the county economically, the, the amount of contractors it brings in, employment and so forth. So we can uh, we continue to be an American defense community. We were ranked as one of the top uh, in the country last year. And so uh, we are still defense related and uh, part of my mission over the last five years is be, to bring some of that research development additive manufacturing off of Aberdeen Proving Ground. Um, number one, the county makes more money on revenue when it's off of the uh, base. And, and number two, uh, the the gate, the security there is uh, a blockade too for folks that want to get on there uh, to start up and entrepreneurs that want to start high tech uh, biotech uh, businesses. So we facilitated that by doing it outside of the gate and provided uh, uh, starter space and um, ground floor uh, incubator spaces for that. How's your tourism, tourism industry? I like to visit um, Haber de Grace. It's a great community. It's a nice for a, yeah. a day trip. My wife and I love to get up that area, and it's just really a neat place. So I imagine that tourism is also a significant portion of what draws in county funds. Right. Tourism's about a billion-dollar uh, business for us. Um, I was one, I did, one of the taxes I did raise was uh, Hartford County was the only county on the I-95 corridor that did not have a hotel tax. <laughs> so one of my uh, final things I did before the Senate was put enabling legislation <laughs> in the BRFA. It wasn't a bill. I did sneak it into the uh, Budget Reconciliation Act. So, uh, And then when I became county executive, I was able to get uh, a hotel tax adopted. Uh, what we've done with that money is funneled it back in uh, to all our tourism groups. Uh, a lot of them were suffering through the recession, so uh, a lot goes into the Decoy Museum, all the great things in Haverty Grace, uh, Ripken Stadium, and uh, we have a really strong sports tourism, too, where a lot of folks come up to play lacrosse, soccer, uh, and we just uh, really work in a deal. I have a deal over before the county council right now that will bring copper mine uh, which is one of the major sports uh, uh, facilities that are in Baltimore County and, and around us we have a deal to bring them to Edgewood and Edgewood is one of my struggling communities on Route 40 that uh, because of where it's located some socioeconomic things has never been able to to get the investment with restaurants and uh, business investment so we've uh, we've got a deal before there to bring them copper mine into that community, and I think it it's going to be able to jumpstart tourism there, but so uh, some business opportunities too. County Executive, you said in the governor's speech today, his State of the State address, it's something that county executives are invited to attend, and you listen. What is your reaction to the governor's speech? What did you take away from that? Well, the first thing I've got to compliment the governor on, it, particularly after last night at the, the State of the Union, uh, is that his whole delivery, um, the fact that he can propose policy and be civil and, and that whether you agree with him or not, uh, in the House, uh, we had the House and Senate there with us. Everyone was respectful. And, and I just think his whole delivery and how he uh, presented his ideals was really well done. It made me feel good to be a Marylander that, in fact, that maybe we could, and the governor said this, you know, maybe we could be a, a role model for the country on, on how do you come together and figure out how to solve problems. And, that, and that's what we're there for. There wasn't a whole lot of partisanship attached, and I haven't seen it 
in the state senate or in the house of course the house and the senate can they there's more democrats than there are republicans that's just the nature of like the school state. construction we know <laughs> uh i think tomorrow i think the speaker's school construction bill to learn act is going to is going to pass out of committee tomorrow it, it's relatively the same as the governor's i mean and the governor supported her bill but you know in all likelihood, it's a Democratic legislature. They're going to move her bill. That's the bill that's going to pass. Uh, but I think uh, uh, I know two weeks ago, all the county executives were there, both uh, Democrat and I am the only Republican in the Big Seven. But we were there supporting that bill. And, and so I think that major initiative is going to move forward with both sides uh uh, voting for it, and I think it'll pass both houses by overwhelming numbers. It will enable Baltimore County, some of our largest jurisdictions with older schools, to begin to clear that backlog to make sure every kid, you know, has a classroom that's got air conditioning, is modern, yeah. it's got heated. Uh, for a suburban county, it'll help me with Joppa Town uh, High School renovation. Some counties, not so much, but, um, you know, in Maryland, we've got to look out and move a lot of these. Uh, jurisdictions for with this backlog. I want to ask you about public safety as it relates to your communities in Harford County as well as Baltimore City. That is a county issue. It's a city issue that most officials will say that it can be a struggle, but if you're doing public safety the right way, then everybody is on board for the common good. That means that you have a good police chief, that you're policing in a way that is responsible, that uh, you're, you're preventing, you're proactively preventing crime, that it's a safe community. We hear a lot of talk, county executive, about Baltimore City, the crime issues that they are struggling with. It's not uh, it's not uh, unknown to other cities uh, in majors in, in America. Baltimore is not unique, but we live in Maryland. We hear the, the, the Baltimore Sun and WBAL and the other news outlets report uh, the, the murders that happen. What's your, what is your take on this and public safety in general? Yeah, and, and, and it's distressing. I, I told you earlier, Ryan, I, you know, I worked for 25 years in the city with the Baltimore Gas and Electric Company, and when I started there, you could go into communities and, and work and do your work and never worry about getting mugged or something bad happening. Uh, by the time I left there uh, and retired five or six years ago, uh, it had gotten to where we didn't go into certain communities at night. Uh, you know, we usually left the city by dark just because it, it wasn't safe. So, um, and you're right. I mean, one of the fundamental things is people want to, no matter if you're a Democrat or Republican, they want a safe community. Uh, and so the city uh, has really struggled with that. Um, the governor talked about it today, and, and I do think uh, they are at the point that it requires some very drastic measures. Um, uh, with the Baltimore Metropolitan Council, we visited New Orleans, which had numbers similar to Baltimore. In fact, they, the police chief is, uh, we met him back when, before he was hired by Baltimore City, uh, Nashville has went through some very difficult, and it takes some very drastic measures uh, to bring it under control. Mm -hmm. And so I think uh, the governor, if you, I think the governor's proposal, if you commit uh, a felony or an act of violence with a stolen gun or a gun, uh, that you really uh, should be brought under the federal law or have an increased uh, sentence. Um, yeah, and I'm looking at a a a 
a snippet from the governor's speech today, and he talked about in October, a two-year-old boy was riding in the car with his family on a Saturday morning when he was shot in the stomach. And last month, a 73-year-old grandmother was shot and killed after being caught in a gang crossfire and near her apartment complex. And 12 people were shot and uh, recently shot, and five were killed in just one night. More than 1,000 people were shot in the streets of Baltimore City last year. 348 people were killed in total in 2019 in Baltimore City, and another 60 people had been shot and 23 killed in just the 29 days since this legislative session has begun. That's troubling. Those statistics are real, and behind those statistics are lives. A lot of trauma. It's a it's lot, a of, lot trauma. of trauma, and you have to wonder, why is a major American city so impacted by this? What is happening that we can't get this issue under control? Is it a, a breakdown of leadership? Is it a is it a policing problem? What, is it a systematic issue that is suffering within the justice system? I don't know what the answer is. It, it's and, probably, a, it seems like the perfect story. It is a combination of, uh, you know... You know, it's poverty, education, violence, the drug trade uh, in this country has become so profitable. And um, and folks will, you know, to protect their territory, kill folks and people get caught in between that. And so I, I don't know if the answer is doubling their police force or uh, more aggressive police policing, uh, I, sentencing and, and, and convictions, putting folks away that are repeat offenders. But I, all I know is it is really going to take a multifaceted, drastic approach to, to stop it. It's almost, uh, I was an EMT, a volunteer fireman in EMT, and uh, it's one of the things you, one of the first things you do is, you know, stop the bleed. You've got to do something uh, to stop the bleeding, and uh, they, they have just not found uh, the way to do that, and it, it is going to take a lot of political will oh. to do it also, and and money. And the governor has put up some money, but uh, the city's got to find a way to get more folks on the street uh, and and really saturate the neighborhoods to try to bring an end to this. It's, it's a shame, and it's hard. And there hard. are no easy answers, so I hate to be too critical because I know there are some historical and, and multifaceted problems there, but... The one thing I do know, uh, if the city is going to survive, uh, they are very close to the point where they have to stop the bleed and do something. Have you been following the story in in, in Bel Air about the police chief? Just a little bit. I uh, one of my staffers gave me uh, uh, a snippet with Chief uh, Chief Moore, and mm-hmm. um, I think it was a family altercation or something. Looks like yeah. it's it's going to be referred over to... Uh, Howard County, maybe? Um, it says the Bel Air Police Association had called for an investigation into the Bel Air Chief of Police, Charles A. Moore, in the Hartford County Sheriff's Office, has referred the matter to Baltimore County's Police and State's Attorney's Attorney. Office. That's an interesting story. That is, and that's municipal. Yeah. Of course, that's one of our, that's our county seat and municipal area. Uh, and Hartford County is one of the few remaining counties. We have an elected sheriff, so mm-hmm. Sheriff and Gaylor and I get along well. And it's one of those situations. I fund his budget, but uh, I really, uh, I really work with him on the opioid epidemic, violence, mm-hmm. and all the things he has to do. Uh, my theory has always been he's the expert at that. I, I have no desire to be a junior police chief and and tell him what to do. So he's elected, and uh, he's done a good job for us. And in fact, last year. 
our crime rate was down a percent, uh, where some counties that border Baltimore City have be begun to see an uptick. Uh, I think Baltimore County, uh, southern, the northern Anne Arundel County and that Brooklyn Park area have begun to see some migration of that, um, of that violence, which most likely from, from everything I've dealt with with the heroin epidemic is related to that. Uh, a major that, issue affecting yeah. all communities, no matter where right. you are in Maryland and, and throughout the United States. I am interested to see if you can explain to me, to help me understand, since you are uh, an expert on county government, there's a couple different forms of county government in the state of Maryland. You have a an executive and council form of government. Right, and that's called a charter. A charter. Charter form. charter form of government, where I live in Montgomery County, where you elect a uh, members of the county council based on population as well as a, a county executive. Now you have a commissioner form of government where commissioners do both legislative and the executive side, and they have a, a county administrator. And then right. there's a hybrid form of, 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 county of, of a county commissioner form of government, and then a, maybe like a, an executive that is called an administrator. Yeah, but but for the most part, it's charter and commissioner. I think they right. they fall in there. They've set up a little bit differently. There, but there's more cha there's more commissioner forms of government in Maryland. Right. Most rural governments are, are commissioner form. What's uh, what's the difference? What's the primary difference? And what uh, what do you think works best? I mean, maybe it's each individual community. I know that Washington County, where I grew up, born and raised many times over had attempted to pass a charter form of government, but I don't think there was enough interest there. Yeah, and there, there's always a, a, a um, train of thought that, in fact, charter government is more expensive because you're actually setting up an executive branch with department heads and departments. And um, But the, the real impetus, uh, change I think I've seen is usually it's when a county matures enough uh, uh, in population, economic development, and so forth, that it almost becomes a necessity that five commissioners, in essence, cannot run uh, planning and zoning, water and sewer. Uh, a lot of these various departments uh, provide a, a highway system in that form or fashion. So when a county grows, uh, gets up to around 200,000 people, I think it, they begin to feel that pressure of being able to run a modern, efficient government and, and charter government really was just a copy uh, counties copying the state system the, the governor and uh, the a legislature body. and uh, spelling out various uh, executive departments so historically and if you look at most county charters they're pretty much the same and they're pretty much copies of the state <laughs> <laughs> the state constitution um, uh, Carroll County is the biggest example so they are uh, you know we're in the big seven Carroll County is coming in close to um, Harford County and has grown over the year. I know they, they tried to do a, a charter referendum. I think they're looking at it again. But they're one of the counties that, that are kind of, I, I say, on the bubble that you're, you're almost uh, kind of forced to move to an executive form of government after you become so big and have enough economic development that it makes sense to, to set your government up that way. Yeah, and, and I think the latest county... Got the, the latest merge from the commissioner form to charter was Frederick County, where Jan right. Gardner, and I believe that happened in about 2013, 2014. Right. Cecil County right before that. I That's think. right, yeah, because yeah. Alan McCarthy is the— He's up the, for re-election right now. Now, they, 
they did it. They they I always say Cecil County looks like they begrudgingly <laughs> moved to charter because when they moved to charter, uh, I, I know Alan. Alan has maybe one secretary and one support person, so they. They said, well, we're going to do charter government, but we're going to do it on the cheap. And so if you look at his structure, when the county council passed that, they put a lot of limitations on on his government, on their on their actually executive branch. So uh, that's a tough one. I, I see him dealing with some things that most modern charters uh, don't limit you to. Yeah. And so finally, I'm interested to hear about your priorities for the your county in particular in this fiscal year what are you uh what should we expect out of harford county over the next year yeah one of one of the things that we're we're going to be going doing is um i like to say refinement over the last five years we've been able to turn the county around fiscally uh but I, I tell my department heads and folks in the county, now it's time to kind of go and refine some of this. Economic development, we still have work to do to bring technology off of Aberdeen Proving Ground. Um, you know, we started with the warehouse, the Amazon stuff. Early on, we have Sephora, Rite Aid. So we started that about 20 years ago. And, and in our county, we're, we get one or two a year. but. I like to think we're about full in, in that. I like to have different diversified uh, pieces of economic development. And I, I warn counties up and down 95 to be careful uh, with the last mile distribution centers. Uh, they are good to bring them in. They're huge buildings. They do hire folks, uh, but most of the projections are that those jobs will be robotic. Uh, within five to ten years and you're going to have a lot of folks still looking uh, for work. Uh, this, so that's a piece. Economic development I think is something that each county has to do. Uh, we're going to move forward in Harper County with what's called a North Star program uh, and it is contained in a piece of Kerwin uh, but we want to provide opportunities for our students uh, uh, to be career or college ready so expand our technical offerings but also at that new Joppa Town uh, renovated high school, mm. we will have an early college program. So in fact, uh, you can go to Hartford Community College and, and when you graduate, have an associate, uh, an AA degree and your college diploma. So that, uh, that is a big policy shift that we wanna get implemented in my last three years uh, to get that done. And, and the final is uh, this year, I, uh, for the first time, and we're like most rural counties, we have a primarily volunteer fire service. All the volunteer fire services in, in Maryland are struggling with getting volunteers. Uh, the training hours are tremendous. Most, most folks have to work two jobs. Uh, this year, I rolled out a program uh, for college graduates that'll provide $5,000 a year in college debt repayment. Uh, you sign up and you serve your community uh, and you'll be able to collect 5000 a year to pay off uh, your college debt. In a volunteer capacity. In a volunteer capacity. That's great. Yeah, so That's that, innovative. Has other counties done that? Or no is other it county. That, that'll be the first in the state. Pennsylvania has a bill uh, in their House of Representatives to, to try and do that. So uh, we're kind of breaking new ground there to see, in fact, if we can do that. Uh, we're also building the first fire company uh, in the county that'll be funded by the county. I'm going to let the volunteers run it. 
but also it will house uh, county paramedic units. So it'll be a kind of a hybrid system where we're going to house both. One of our challenges as a growing county is on the public safety, particularly fire and EMS, is that transition from an all-volunteer service uh, to what eventually, uh, by necessity, will probably be a paid mm. system, which is expensive, and uh, we're doing a lot of planning there to get mm. that done. Well, uh, boy, we covered a lot so today. I got a lot of stuff. Go- I got, got a lot, lot more. I talk too much. No, 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 no. <laughs> you have a lot on your plate. And you have much to contribute. Um, County Executive Glassman, I really appreciate you coming on sure. today, spending time, and I know you're a busy guy. So I appreciate it, and I'm glad. I, I love to visit your, your county. We like to get right. up there as so much as possible. Let me know the next time you're up. Yep. We're yeah. Ready. I don't. Here's the thing, though. I am embarrassed to say I don't know too many re, uh, the restaurants, but interesting. I, I want to bring this up. I, I believe House of Cards has spent some time in in uh, in Harford County taping and, they did. and filming they, at Abington. We had the full set. With did the you meet White the characters? House. I did get to meet. Uh, I met Kevin Spacey before his downfall uh, through all his scandal. That was uh, a big one. <laughs> and in, in private think, and in on on film. I blame. Yeah, I sort of blame him for us losing House of Cards oh. for the demise of the whole program. Robin Wright was nice, and it was really you could walk through those sets and pretend you're in the White House. They were so authentic. I bet it was. Uh, we still market that that uh, movie set and that whole uh, area. I think, actually, President, I think it went somewhere else, but we were in the running for uh, President Clinton's first novel. They are going to shoot uh, uh, a movie on that, but we didn't We didn't make that. Very, very picturesque, and Marilyn was part of the House of Cards' final season. Yeah. I believe it was what was Gary's house on uh, over on the shore on Queen Anne's County? Um, uh, Gary, I can't, his name eludes me right now. Um, he was a, a big backer of the guy. He owns a like a flower. Magnum. Fl- Gary, Gary Magnum. Magnum's yeah. home was used, uh, and a, a beautiful home it is. I know the governor right. has done fundraisers there. Maryland has been lucky with the film industry. <laughs> yeah, and so I grew up. Uh, so I grew up in a little village called Level, right, a farming community, and it's uh, the most notable thing about it. I always tell people it had a garage, a general store, and, and, of course, a volunteer fire company. But it was spelled the same way forward as it is backwards, right, <laughs> Level? And uh, we got to shoot three scenes with the House of Cards in Level, which is really just a, uh, two streets that, that intersect. But Did you ever make a cameo appearance in House of Cards? Well, uh, that's a long story, too. I was on set for a full day. I never realized there was so much sitting around and waiting. Uh, and But I don't think I ever made it. I know I shot, and my whole thing was just walking down a hallway behind two staffers. <laughs> uh, I, never, I never got to see it. Uh, but one of the great things is uh, they do have chefs there, and I, I stuff myself all day. <laughs> but I waited 10 hours to get about two minutes of walking down a hallway. That's that's <laughs> funny. Well, all right. interesting, interesting. I, I have to go back and now watch House of Cards. It was a great series, but it kind of tatered off at the it end. Did. It was a little weird. It ended with all the with I, all the scandal and everything. With, just, with, uh, with Kevin Spacey yeah. missing out on the last season, it was really hard yeah. to, to, to finish that series with uh, a dramatic boom. But County Executive, I really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much, and I look forward to you coming back again. Sure. We'll right. see you. Thanks. Thank you.